Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of the Development Debrief. Happy New Year, if this is the fiscal year that you follow. Happy 4th of July. I hope you are taking some time off because we have a big year ahead. This season, I'm exploring conversations about annual fund best practices. We're going to dip into some alumni relations, get a journalist's perspective, and I'm going to be conducting an experiment. Sponsored by the BWF Consulting Firm, I'm going to be exploring what returning to the office looks like for our industry. Next week's episode, you will learn all about what's in store for that. But in the meantime, for this week, in the spirit of the new year, we are going to hear from Elizabeth Abel. Elizabeth shares her perspective on how to prepare for your new year from the greatest place of strength. This is important as we navigate another big year of changes, personally and professionally. We talk empathy and ambition, revisiting your case for support, and building a comprehensive fundraising plan. Elizabeth Abel is a thought leader in philanthropy and seasoned expert in fundraising. She has designed, advised, and directed development initiatives and capital campaigns that have collectively raised more than $250 million. Elizabeth is a corporate vice president at CCS Fundraising, a leading fundraising consulting firm to nonprofit organizations worldwide. Since joining CCS in 2013, Elizabeth has partnered with institutions to plan and implement large-scale fundraising campaigns with revenue goals ranging from $5 million to $500 million. In this role, she provides counsel on strategic planning, major gifts fundraising, and volunteer engagement. She is an instructor at the University of Pennsylvania, where she teaches fundraising and philanthropy, the donor journey, to graduate students in the nonprofit leadership program. Elizabeth holds a master's in nonprofit leadership from the University of Pennsylvania and a Bachelor of Arts from Tufts University. Now let's get started. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Happy New Year, Elizabeth. Happy New Year. So full disclosure, it's not July 1, but we have a couple weeks to go and we want to be in the July 1 mindset for this episode. So I thought it would be fun to start with that greeting for everyone. What do you think, Elizabeth? How should we use these months to plan for FY22? Typically, I used a four-pronged approach to my fundraising activity that focuses on key elements of a successful fundraising program. These include your case for support, your leadership, your prospective donors, and then your actual 12-month campaign plan. So I'm happy to share some detail and we can unpack each of these pillars, what we can do to elevate them as we embark on the year ahead. Yeah, let's definitely go into each. I think, so first and foremost, case for support, it's the most simple and yet we do seem to struggle with it. Let's start there. Absolutely. So essentially the case is your why. It's your persuasive appeal and your compelling rationale to invest in an organization and it includes a clear articulation of impact. Donors want to know why you need my support, why you need it now, and how my support will benefit the communities that you're serving. And so it's important as you think about embarking on this new fiscal year to take some time and critically analyze your case messaging. What is it that you're communicating? How can we elevate the language, incorporate more inclusive language, and tailor our case to reflect the current moment that we're in? 
And then when we think about the collateral materials that we'll need to communicate that case to others, is it a deck, talking points, brochure, marketing materials, but make sure you have a compelling, a clear and a cohesive message that you can use across your organization. Do you find that people's case for support do change? Is that a fluid thing? I think over the past year, the way in which we are doing our work has changed. And so the way in which we're communicating how we're doing our work and the work that we're doing continues to evolve. And so I think as we enter this hybrid environment, it's important to just recognize that the way in which we were operating as an organization five years ago is likely not how we're operating today. And so it's important to make sure that the message reflects the current moment and how our organization is meeting the moment and adapting to the times that we're in. Yes, the institution has their case for support, but then there's also the donors why. How do we blend those together this year? Again, it goes back to understanding what motivates our donor. And we see statistically that donors give most because number one, they believe in your mission and they're passionate about the work that they're doing and that you're doing. And number two, they want to feel like they're making a tangible difference in the communities that you're serving. So communicate your mission, communicate the programs that you're doing, and then make sure to help convey the philanthropic impact that people can have so that they feel like they're a part of your community and they're a part of making change. Ideally, we're getting updated language, ideology, et cetera, for that case for support so let's talk about the leadership piece. So once we have our case, we need our compelling and influential leaders to be able to articulate that case and communicate it broadly. And so I think about leaders in two ways. We have our internal leaders, our CEOs, executive directors, development directors, and development teams. And then we have our volunteer leaders, our boards of directors, our advancement, our development committees, and other volunteer bodies that support and elevate our fundraising activity broadly. And so I think it's really important to make sure that we're communicating our case clearly and that there's a cohesive narrative among these various leadership constituencies to make sure that we have an internal and external facing message that's united in furtherance of our mission. And I think volunteer leadership is particularly important when thinking about fundraising specifically our boards of directors. These board members are a true asset to a nonprofit's fundraising activity. The question then becomes, how can we engage and educate and leverage our volunteer leaders and board members as fundraising ambassadors of our organization broadly? Let's say someone's listening and they're, they don't have that support built in. How can they individually take some of this advice and put it into place on somewhat of a one-off? What can you do that furthers your mission and your programs? And that is to always be an ambassador yourself, champion the work that you're doing, talk about your programs, educate others about the impact that their philanthropy can have. But everyone that works for an organization, you are an ambassador and you are a leader and you should take ownership of that and confidently communicate the extraordinary work that you're doing. That's really empowering. And I, I just want to underscore that because I know there are lots of people that don't have that amazing foundational leadership. And so I think 
maybe taking some time and writing out what's your own reason why you work at your institution and what are you personally excited about, I think could go a really long way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think if anything, COVID has taught us that people want to see who we are behind the screens and the emails and the facades of technology. And I think when we're able to share our own personal stories, that can be so powerful. Yeah, good. So the the perspective donor engagement and journey, I'm excited to hear more about this one. To be successful, you need an ample pool of prospective donors, each of whom is qualified by three characteristics, ability, affinity, and access. So ability refers to an individual's financial capacity to make a gift at the level that you're seeking. Affinity refers to their connection to your mission. Do they care about the work that you're doing? And then access refers to literally just that. Do we have a personal connection, whether it's a donor that's already in our orbit or someone that we're seeking to engage through our leadership, whether it's our CEO, DOD, or a board member. And when we think about the prospective donor, I think about that donor journey, how we can bring people into the organization, cultivate them in a way that's meaningful, exciting, fun, and educational, helping them understand what we're doing on the ground to serve our communities. How are we briefing them on our funding priorities and then positioning them for a solicitation that they're excited about? We want people to feel good about the gifts that they're making and inspired to continue their philanthropy as they move forward. And so that brings us to the stewardship piece. How are we recognizing and thanking our donors as we ultimately position them for future philanthropic investments? What can you do and what are the meaningful touch points to engage your leadership, engage your prospective donors, and cultivate them and solicit them in a way that will support your overall fundraising goals? And again, in the spirit of back to basics, I'm thinking, you know, that journey sounds amazing. But if someone's inherited someone who's had, to extend the metaphor, a rocky journey or has had some negative experiences, first, I would ask you, how do we determine that? And second, how do we get people on that better track that you're talking about? To answer your first question, I think it's important to be active and engaged listeners as fundraisers. Always come prepared with questions. These can be questions to get to know your donors as people. What brings them joy? You know, how did they get involved in the organization? Why are they continuing to be involved? Are their families involved? And then I think when people start to talk about the things that they care about, you can see they start to smile and open up and their body language changes. And then you start to build that authentic relationship that's grounded in trust and a shared appreciation of the work that you're doing at your organization. Yeah, and I think probing questions too. You know, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. How could that have been done better? Because I think often we forget that people have maybe been donors for 10 years and they've seen a lot, maybe more even than you have of the organization. Absolutely. No, I think um, asking open-ended questions, it goes a long way. And again, at the heart of fundraising and the heart of what we do, it's building relationships. So it's important to build them from a place of authenticity. And thinking about the journey too, this is one that's always been challenging for me because people are holding a portfolio of anywhere between like 50 to 200 donors. And how do you mentally parse apart each individual journey, that one's tough. 
It is. And I think there are so many ways to approach this depending on your organization and the style and cadence of your fundraising activity. I think the first piece is to segment your donors and get a sense of, you know, are you working with major donors? Are you working with volunteer leaders who are also donors? Are you working with kind of lower level donors, but a lot of them? And so once you have a sense of who are your donor segments and different donor audiences and personas, you can really tailor your messages to a small cadre of donors and ensure that you are providing meaningful engagement opportunities and valuable touch points throughout the course of the year without feeling like you have to have 50 individual touch points because that can be very overwhelming. That's such a great tip. And actually, I'm going to be doing that myself over the next two weeks is who's moved out of one category or another, who are emerging major gift donors this year, because it, it constantly changes and is fluid. So taking that time to really recognize those changes is absolutely critical. And it's not always the most fun, but it will help. I think that's a really important point. And I think it goes back to the whole theme of this conversation, which is being deliberate about how you're using this time over the summer to position yourself for success and thinking about your prospective donor pipeline and your engagement opportunities is such an important part of that. Yeah, so last but not least, fundraising plan. So the fundraising plan is when we pull it all together, pull our case, our leadership, and our prospective donors in such a way that we provide a 12-month framework to guide our fundraising activity. And so the fundraising plan is a strategic approach to just that. It's a plan that includes our revenue goals, a projected timeline, and a steady cadence of activity and benchmarks required for success. So what do we need to do between July 1, 2021 and June 30th, 2022 to position ourselves to reach our goal, engage our donor audience, build a strong culture of philanthropy, provide meaningful opportunities to leverage our leaders and communicate that case to our broader community. So does that mean identifying certain touch points along the way, whether it's your institution's giving day or calendar year end? Yes, it does. So I think there is this idea of a cadence of activity over the course of 12 months. And there's a natural ebb and flow within any calendar year. And so I think it, it's twofold, right? You have your major donors and then you have a high volume of participation level donors. And what are engagement opportunities for each of those core constituencies over the next 12 months? And so again, there's a natural ebb and flow. As we know, December is a very active month for giving. So we know that that's going to be a busy time of year, whereas the summer is somewhat slower. And so it provides an opportunity to think critically and plan for the activity ahead. But absolutely leverage that calendar. I think the calendar is every fundraiser's best friend. And if it is not your best friend, it should be. Because ultimately, your calendar will provide authentic benchmarks for you to engage people around a holiday or a giving day or a birthday or um, an annual program or event that your organization really prides itself on. So leverage that calendar, work backwards from key dates. Yeah, I know you work backwards. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with my calendar and think everybody should <laughs> too. Well, it sounds like it works. It does, it honestly does because it allows you, I think most importantly, to balance that 30,000 high level vision for achieving your goal and then having the 
the deliberate actions that you take every day to get you towards that goal. And it's a balance. And some days you're totally in the weeds, whereas others you have some time to think critically about how you're achieving your goals. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure most people do this, but I just want to mention it anyway. You know, at Columbia, we break it down into quarters, and that really helps you see if you're charting behind or ahead. And if your institution or organization is not doing that, I would highly recommend it because that's the only thing that keeps me really in order. Absolutely. I think that's such a smart idea. It's almost like micro goals, if you will, right? Every three months, you have a set of goals and benchmarks that you can build momentum and energy around and build upon as you go from Q1 to Q2. Yeah, so you had mentioned to me in a previous conversation the importance of having DEI infused in all four of these prongs. And I'd love to hear more of what you meant about that and why that's so important. So as we've seen and come to recognize America's reckoning with racial and social injustice over the past couple of years has quite literally demanded that we reevaluate nonprofit leadership and fundraising practices from a lens of social and racial equity. And so diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, is important in so many ways. From the way in which we make our case for support and communicate our organization's message to the donors that we cultivate, the volunteer leaders we engage, and the teams that we build. And I would offer three pieces of insight and some suggestions on how we as nonprofit leaders can incorporate these intentional practices in our work. So the first is messaging, and this goes back to our case for support and the importance of evaluating and refining our case messaging to ensure that we're incorporating more inclusive language in both our internal and external communications. The second is leadership. And it's imperative, I think, that we strive for our staff, our leadership teams, and our boards to better represent the diverse communities that we serve. And so this also means identifying, recruiting, retaining, and developing diverse teams and talent. What we've seen is that when teams have diverse perspectives, it's important to make them feel engaged and empowered and create a sense of psychological safety where we're comfortable enough to speak up and take risks. And not only just comfortable, we're encouraged to do so. And I think that leads to the third piece, which is culture and our organizational culture. And making sure that we have a continuous and sustained effort towards ensuring that our diverse teams and colleagues and individuals feel engaged, empowered, and, and valued. And I think at the end of the day, what we've seen is that diversity of people and perspectives leads to innovation. This innovation leads to a greater impact. And ultimately our job as fundraisers is to have the greatest impact through philanthropy. We've heard that from other guests on this podcast, actually making goals on paper, which is what we're doing during these summer months. So I would challenge people to really think about how they, what that would look like within their own organizations and how they can push the envelope to make change. And that makes me think about your banner, your LinkedIn banner. I don't know if you have it memorized, but. <laughs> of course I do. So tell us, what does it say? So I believe that philanthropy is one of the most powerful tools to drive social change. And it's become my professional mantra. and. Oh why I've pursued a career in the nonprofit sector. I love that. And it's so empowering because it means that we really can be part of 
part of that change. I couldn't agree more. And I'm so happy that that resonated with you. Oh, I saw it this morning actually. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. And whenever people ask me why I work in fundraising, I say some version of that. I mean, you, you said it so beautifully, but you know, I think it levels the play education levels, the playing fields. It provides an opportunity to have a better life than your parents did it. It's access. It's so many different things. So I loved that. And it's on this beautiful sort of pale blue green with a nice, very friendly font. So you have this new branding, this Instagram page that I absolutely love. What started that? Thank you so much. So my mission in life is to inspire and empower people with the knowledge and tools to elevate philanthropy so that you can have the greatest benefit and impact on the communities that you're serving. And if 2020 taught me one thing, it's the importance of being bold and thinking creatively about how I can use my own authentic voice for good. Mm -hmm. So building on my expertise as a philanthropy consultant at CCS Fundraising and a fundraiser instructor at the University of Pennsylvania, and now, of course, leveraging my new perspectives as a mother, I've launched this professional Instagram account for nonprofit leaders and development professionals seeking to build a thriving career in the social impact sector. So you can follow me at Elizabeth Bernie Abel, where I share regular nonprofit industry insights, fundraising best practices, and action-oriented, easily digestible tips for success. Full disclosure, I regularly post photos of my 10-month-old daughter because I <laughs> She's the absolute cutest and brings me tremendous joy. But all joking aside, if what Catherine and I have uh, discussed here today resonates with you and you're interested in learning more about fundraising best practices, about me, about CCS, I encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn, connect with me on Instagram. I'm more than happy to continue our conversation and serve as a resource for you and your teams as you pursue your own fundraising goals. And what I love so much about that is we've talked about take a step back. What's your case for support? How are you setting yourself up for success as you go through your FY22? And now you've given us a concrete example of how you, Elizabeth, have done that, of taking a step back, thinking about your passions. And so this is one example, but there are so many other ways that people listening can do that for themselves. Absolutely. And I hope that the insights that I offer will make you feel more empowered and prepared to do the work that you're obviously here because you care about doing. And I believe so deeply in providing continued professional development opportunities for nonprofit leaders and development professionals. I think it's important to continue to grow so that we can be the strongest that we can be, that we are prepared to raise the revenue that we need to drive meaningful social change. But now let's talk specifically about FY22. I've nodded at this a few times in our conversation that of course this fiscal year is different. FY21 was completely remote and we're now going to have FY22 look a little bit different. So how do you think this preparation should be different than other summers? Because again, what we're saying is not rocket science. People have done this for years and years, but what is the difference this year? The big question that I encourage nonprofit leaders and fundraising teams to ask themselves is how is your mission meeting the moment? 
And I think this is important in the way in which we're communicating our case, we're engaging and leveraging our leaders, and we're bringing donors along on this personalized donor journey. And so when we think about how we're approaching the summertime and how we're using this air quote downtime, because it's mm -hmm. not real downtime, but relative to December, it might be, but how we're using this time to think critically, I would offer this piece of insight that your strategy should be built on these fundraising fundamentals that we spent some time talking about earlier today, while also incorporating a tailored approach to your fundraising plan that emphasizes flexibility and creativity. And I think these are probably the two greatest skills that I've seen emerge. So for example, how are you tailoring your case? So our case should reinforce the importance and relevancy of our mission, and it should now be able to reflect the impact that the pandemic has had on your ability to carry out your vital work. So why should someone invest in your organization and why should they do it now? So this idea of the moment in time that we're in, communicating how your mission is meeting that moment and continuing to serve the communities that you're here to serve. You know, of course, you're totally focused on the work and I'm thinking about, you know, personal lives of people going back to the office or not and maintaining ambitious goals during turbulence of what is a week to week going to look like and how we balance our bigger lives with, you know, you had mentioned being a mom with families and going back to school and et cetera. So knowing that everyone has these different experiences, how do you think we can balance that empathy for our colleagues and frankly, our donors while still doing what you were saying, maintaining ambitious goals, being bold, et cetera. I think this is gonna be one of our biggest challenges. And I think it's the biggest and most important question that we need to be asking. So I'm so glad that you did. So I would offer three pieces of advice for nonprofit leaders and for people who are managing teams and supporting other people. First is to lead with empathy and humanity. Second is to focus on community, culture, and inclusion. And third is to celebrate your wins. So let's unpack each. So leading with empathy, at the heart of fundraising is relationship building. So how can we, we build and maintain relationships both with donors and with our team from a place of authenticity and empathy? Get to know people beyond the screen. And I think if COVID has taught us one thing, it's the importance of, again, asking those open-ended questions. A question as simple as, what did you do this weekend? Will tell you so much about what people enjoy doing in their spare time, what brings them joy, and so that idea of leading with humanity, especially with your donors, again, people are people, we're all human, so lead with that human touch. The second piece is community and culture. And I think this also goes back to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how can we make sure that every single person on our team feels accepted, valued, engaged, and that they see themselves as an integral member of the work that we're doing. There's a really fantastic book called Inclusify by Dr. Stephanie Johnson. She's a business professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And her whole message is this idea of how can we make sure that everyone on our teams is recognized for their unique contributions and also an integral part of our collective success. 
And then that leads to the third piece, which is to celebrate wins. I cannot tell you how many times I'm sitting in a meeting and we'll talk about a gift that we've secured that's extraordinary. And it's so matter of fact, like got this great gift onto the next one. And I think it is such a missed opportunity as fundraisers. Yes, we have ambitious fundraising goals. Yes, we have a deadline that's always in the back of our minds that we need to meet. But let's take 30 seconds or five minutes to celebrate these wins that we've worked so hard to achieve. We do something on our team called Good News From Home, and it has become a beloved part of our team meeting, which we have every month for 90 minutes. And it's 15 minutes and everyone is encouraged to send good news. And they are specifically not professional accomplishments, but rather an engagement, a wedding, a new puppy, a new hobby, something that brings you joy. And I cannot tell you pre-good news from home and good news from home, the difference in our team culture, the energy, the momentum, because you're breaking down barriers, you're getting to know people, you're finding shared opportunities. And then because you're doing all of these things, you're building a stronger community that allows you to move forward from a place of greatest strength. So all of these things I do believe can be implemented in pretty simple ways. And I think the effects on our teams, our culture, our work and our success can truly be transformative. I love it. I love it. There is so much that we can do, whether it's what we've always done or twisting what we've always done into something new and something even better. So I think you've just given us so many little things to think about, small tweaks that can take us so much further than we've gone in the past. So I thank you. And I'm glad you told us where to find you on Instagram. And we're going to continue this conversation in a couple of weeks in mid-July on Instagram Live. Yes, I'm so excited. And I look forward to unpacking these themes, answering questions that our communities have, and really providing the knowledge and tools to make sure that as we kick off fiscal year 22, that we are doing so from a place of greatest strength. It's a very exciting time and I can't wait to see what's ahead. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the first episode of season four. To ask questions and learn more from Elizabeth, tune into Instagram Live on July 13th at 5 p.m. You can learn more on my handle at devdebrief and I hope you will connect on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you, and I cannot wait to share what is in store of this season, and I thank you so much for your support. Have a great day!